Coming up on golf today, a deep dive into the state of Colin Murakawa as he gets ready for golf at the Zozo. Is his iron game sharp enough to climb the leaderboards this week in Japan? He'll have to overcome 20-year-old Tom Kim. He's also playing at the Zozo. Been a great end of the year, but does he have the medal to grab some of the game's biggest trophies in 2023? And is this the end for El Nino in the Ryder Cup? Find by the DP World Tour. Is there any chance Sergio finds a road to Roma? It's hump day and it's golf today. Golf today. Golf today on a Wednesday. Damon Knack alongside Eamon Lynch of Golf Week Magazine. Busy time in the game, but my partner still found time to go to the driving range yesterday. I'm curious, what did you find? How'd it go? Well, I'm back here today, which would suggest I didn't find an awful lot, Damon. <laughs> but I'll be back out there this afternoon. But the search never ends. At least I don't have to go to Japan searching mm. for something. There are certainly a few guys in the field out there this week who are searching for a little bit of magic. And some who found that magic quite recently, like your guy Tom Kim. How about that? May the Tom Kim train... Keep on rolling. Let's kick things off on the PGA Tour. Zozo Championship returns to Japan for the second straight year after being played at Sherwood Country Club in California in 2020 through the COVID-19 pandemic. The event debuted in 2019 as the first official PGA Tour event held in Japan. You mentioned the field. Seven players in the top 20 in the field this week at the Zozo. Good mix of players, international flavor. Xander Shoffley, the highest ranked player at number six. Also in the field, the world number nine, a two-time major champ, Colin Morikawa. So let's open up Colin's file, see how he's been playing of late. Really consistent player. This was back uh, in November's last worldwide win. DP World Tour Championship made five birdies down the stretch to shoot a final round 66, beat Rory McIlroy, and with the win, became the first American to win the DP World Tour season-long race. And in December, Morikawa had an opportunity to become the world number one player. He entered the final round of Tigers event, the Hero World Challenge, with a five-stroke lead. But you hear him say, oh no. That was basically the story of his day. He closed with a 76, ended up tied for fifth. We really kind of learned about the impact of, of being number one in the world. He definitely struggled in February. He was tied for second at the Genesis Invitational for a second runner-up finish of the season. Shot 65 in the final round at Riv and finished two shots back of the winner, Joaquin Neiman. Fast forward a couple of months to April, Morikawa was fifth at the Masters. Shot 67 in the final round to finish six back of Scotty Scheffler, but his week will be remembered most for that hold-out bunker shot next to Rory McIlroy, who did the same on the 72nd hole. Yeah, pretty cool moment. Then Morikawa very candid with the media ahead of his start at the U.S. Open at the Country Club saying, I've gone through every video on my phone of my swing. I've gone through nearly every swing thought I can think of since college. We just haven't hit the jackpot yet. He was referring to the loss of his fade with his irons. He didn't like his shot shape. Too many draws, he said, but would ultimately have a good week aim. And you'll recall finishing in a tie for fifth. He had a better week. In that open than the one he was defending. He won at Royal St. George's last year. He came back to St. Andrews to defend. And he became the first defending champion since Darren Clark a decade ago, not to make the weekend. Yes, really strange to see him struggle. You think about the quality of winners at the old course, and you just felt that he would have had a much stronger week. But then last month, member of the U.S. President's Cup team going 2-1-0 in the United States victory, including a singles win 
over Mito Pereira, three and two. Just looks like a guy who's going to be representing the United States for a long, long time in the President's Cup and the Ryder Cup as well. So let's take a look at kind of the numbers since his last worldwide win. 19 starts, eight top 10 finishes, a couple runner-ups as we mentioned. Fifth at the Masters, T5 at the U.S. Open. That miscut at the players in the Open, surprising. And Colin Morikawa met the press today in Japan. Really, the biggest thing is to get back on the winner's circle and, you know, get back out on top. Um, it's been a while, and it's obviously very tough to win out here. Um, but I feel like the game has been trending in the right direction. I saw a little bit through the playoffs. President's Cup felt really nice, and hopefully we can kind of start putting together four good rounds and giving ourselves a chance, you know, come Sunday on the back nine and uh, see, what, you know, how things play out. What would it do for your confidence to win, uh, you know, your season debut and at the Zozo Championship at an international event? Uh It'd be huge. Um, I mean, I think there's a lot to talk about when you talk about the Zozo Championship. You know, you look at the two times it's been played in Japan. You obviously have Tiger that won in 19 and Hideki that won last year. Um, it's, it's provided great winners, and it's, it shows that this course, you know, is, is kind of makes great players hopefully rise to the top, and hopefully, you know, we're on this week and figuring some things out. Love his honesty. Very direct and honest with the media. Two-time major champ who did not have the year, I think we can say, that he wanted to. Interesting to me, Eamon, that he put a new putter in his bag a couple of weeks before the President's Cup, a half inch shorter. He thought that on the greens, he was starting to get a little bit rigid, trying to be a little more natural and athletic. And he said of late, over the last few weeks, that fade that was missing during the summer has been found. So I think he's going to be on to bigger and better things. How about you? Isn't it a sign of how high Colin Morikawa set the bar for himself that a guy who's had a reasonably solid year without a trophy is considered to be in a slump, but that is the bar Colin yeah. Morikawa set for himself. I mean, last year he won three times, was second another three times. He won a couple of times the year before that. He had those couple of major championship victories. And do you remember when a couple of years ago there was such a frenzy around the fact that he'd never missed a cut and there were a couple of times he looked in danger of it, but right. he held it out there. I mean, he's missed four cuts this year, which is strikingly inconsistent for a guy like him. Mm at his level. And I think he's, the results have certainly cooled, but he gets a bad rap a little bit on the putting. It, it's very easy to misread the strokes gain stats when it comes to putting. For instance, from inside of three feet, Colin Morikawa is listed as tied for 132nd mm. on tour. He's had 541 putts last season. Mm. Inside of three feet, he made 538 of the 541. So that's how good they are out there, that that gets you tied for 132nd. A, a better, perhaps, point to look at with him is putting inside of 10 feet, where mm. these guys are going to have a lot of uh, birdie options, particularly if you hit your irons like Colin Murakawa. He was 168th on tour mm. last year. So the putting is not, it's just not a strong suit for him at all. And he, he gives the sense of a guy who's searching for something. But to your point, what surprised me this year is him talking about searching for something on the way to the green. Right. Because he's been such a quality ball striker for the first few years of his career. He was asked early in his press conference at Brookline about the state of his game, and he went right there. My iron game, I'm not playing the way I want to. I'm not seeing the start lines and the finish lines. And I just thought it was remarkably candid for a player who could have said, you know, I'm playing okay. Like, he got specific. To me, that was a, almost a point of pride. Like, like, I'm such a good player that I, I know eventually I'm going to be okay. Right now, I'm in a little bit of a bad patch. But he, he didn't hide. He, he doesn't hide from questions. And I thought it was very 
uh, much a, an indication of the confidence that he has in his game and the goals that he has. I remember speaking about Torrey Pines uh, before he won that second major, and it was all about finding a way to that second major quickly after winning the first at the PGA at TPC Harding Park. And he was very honest that it's going to happen shortly, and it did happen in the next major. So I think he's a very confident player who's not shy in talking to people like us in saying specifically what is bothering him and specifically what he's working on and working his way through right now. That's a fair assessment. He's a very analytical character, and he doesn't kind of dodge bullets or dodge topics, and you don't hear that very often among players who are in the searching mode. Right. Ricky Fowler is another example of somebody who was fairly upfront in talking about exactly what he was working on. And we'll hear from Ricky later in the show. He talked today in Japan about specifics that he was working on with yeah. Butch as well. But it's remarkable how many players don't want to get into the granular detail of what they're working on on a swing. And it's not as though he's that far off. But when you're Colin Morikawa, not that far off, can feel yeah. like a long way off. I mean, when he finished fifth at the Masters back in April, he was number two in the official World Golf Rankings. As of now, he's number nine. Mm. And that's something he's going to try to be reversing, you know, this week. Yeah. We talk about what uh, a U.S. Open at uh, LACC would mean for Patrick Cantlay or for Xander Shoffley. I mean, Colin Murakawa is from the Los Angeles area as well. He's already won a major championship on the West Coast, not far from where he won or went to college at Berkeley, winning in San Francisco. It would surprise absolutely nobody if he played some great golf coming up in June at LACC. So here's a look at some other notable tee times for the first round of the Zozo Championship. Some fantastic players. You can see Victor Hovland. We talked about him yesterday. And the aforementioned Xander Shoffley is the headliner in that 8.34 p.m. group alongside the defending champ Hideki Matsuyama, Tyrrell Haddon as well. You see at the bottom, 9.40 p.m. Eastern time, the train hoping to keep on rolling with Tom Kim. So let's open up the file. One of my Favorite files to open. You remember he burst onto the scene in the U.S. at that Rock and Mortgage Classic in Detroit. Shot a nine under 63 in the final round, including a hole-out eagle on the 10th, and acquired enough non-member FedEx Cup points to clinch a PGA Tour card for the 2023 season. He sealed his place on the President's Cup roster the very next week, the Wyndham Championship. Kim started the tournament with an eight on the first hole. Still managed to win in Greensboro by five strokes. Behind the strength of a final round of 61, he became the second youngest tour winner since World War II. Absolute stars of the President's Cup, 2-3-0. Despite the losing record and his team's five-point loss to the U.S., lifted his team's spirit. Moments like this with Siwoo Kim winning that key four-ball match Saturday afternoon over Kentley and Shoffley. Those guys don't lose very often, so Kim made the winning putt in the final hole, and this uh, mayhem ensued what a great show of emotion and he rode that momentum pretty well because on sunday he won the shriners children's open for his second pga tour victory becoming the second youngest player to win two times on tour since 1900 and the first player since tiger woods back in 1996 to win twice before his 21st birthday yeah it's been a rocket ship ride for this young man you see at the end of 2021 was ranked 131st in the owgr currently the 15th best player on the planet. I see no blind spots at all. I, the only thing I'm concerned about is like nobody maintains this pace forever outside of, of Tiger Woods. Do you see anything kind of in the future that causes concern regarding this young superstar? 
It was funny to hear him talk about how tired he was after the President's Cup, which since he's only 20, it couldn't have been a hangover, I'm sure. <laughs> but he does have 20-year-old energy and fire. I mean, that win at the Wyndham came in his fifth consecutive week right. of playing golf. And I, I don't expect that the travel from Vegas to Japan is going to cause him much of an issue because he spent the entire first half of this year and last year skipping around Asia and the Middle East and Europe uh, week to week from event to event. W what I look for for Tom Kim is to ride this confidence into a week like today where the mm. field is perhaps more robust than he had at either the Wyndham or the Shriners. And the Shriners wasn't nothing. I mean, he went toe-to-toe -to -toe with the number four player in the world who caught him on the back nine. And Tom Kim was the one who didn't lose his cool, who didn't misfire, didn't hit a lousy shot right. under pressure. That, that fell to Cantley in that scenario. But he's got seven of the top 20 in the world, including himself, to face off with this week. And to me, that's the, the real challenge for him next year is to make that kind of statement in those absolute elite fields. Because he's now number 15 mm. in the world, he's in every event of note that we're going to see next year. And there's no hiding place in those events. And he's a, he's a guy whose biggest weapon seems to be attitude. Mm. Because he, he's not the longest guy in the world. He, statistically, he's kind of a, a middle of the pack player. But it'll be interesting to see when he's faced with the entire raft of the best players in the world faced off with him, what does he do with those guys? I tell you what, I'm going to push back slightly because he's leading the tour in strokes game total so far this season. First in greens in regulation, second in birdies. I think the only That's weak a small spot, sample size. It's a small sample, but the, the concern I have, and I think you bring up a great point, is the major championships or deeper fields, considering his length off the tees, averaging 298. A sub 300 that's well into the hundreds in driving distance so when they get to the golf courses the meaty major championship setups how will his skill set translate the stats for the most part so far are very very strong the optimism is a mighty 15th club but I do wonder what happens when you get to the, the Tory Pines of the schedule and you get to Augusta National and you get to some of these 7,000 yard 7,500 7,600 yard tests Oak Hill in a PGA yeah. Championship, you know, hitting fairways is always going to be valued, but, but when you're having longer irons in, you're going to be at a bit of a, of a deficit. And it's part of the deficit he's kind of brought on himself by being so likable and engaging a character. He's now under a lot more scrutiny. Yeah. There are more demands on Tom Kim's time when he shows up at a tournament now. People want a sign back from him. People are going to want more autographs that might not have known who he was a couple of months ago. And he's created a, a very likable brand for yeah. himself and that also translates to expectations on his game he's won two of his last four starts there's going to be an expectation on Tom Kim to perform consistently at a level that's an enormous pressure to put on a 20 year old kid who mm. as he said himself last week is a five-year-old in Disneyland yeah well suddenly you know the, the potholes and the expectations that are placed on guys like that and placed in their way can be cumbersome for some of them. I hope he is so optimistic and positive as a character that he can ride this momentum, but there are definitely going to be ups and downs in the season to come. I, I think you're right. The arrow is definitely pointing up for this player, uh, but, but no player is without struggle or strife at some point. He hasn't met a lot of it so far. What happens when he does hit that first speed bump, which inevitably will come? Speaking of players with 
tr troubles, strife. Mm. Sergio Garcia, Europe's all-time points leader in the Ryder Cup, but have we seen the last of him in the biennial competition? A decision by the Spaniard certainly makes that seem more likely. We'll explain when we come back. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Hey, everyone. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. This week, the DP World Tour heads to Spain for the Andalucía Masters, former Ryder Cup venue on the southern coast of Spain, once again hosts one of the country's top tournaments. Coverage beginning at 8 a.m. on Thursday. You see major champion Matt Fitzpatrick in the field. Ryan Fox, I think we can call him a friend of the program now, Eamon? Certainly, he's third in the DP World rankings yeah. right now, heading to Dubai. Trying to chase down Fitzpatrick and Rory McIlroy. Now, one name not in the field this week is Sergio Garcia. The DP World Tour has confirmed to Golf Channel that Garcia has been fined for not providing an explanation for his WD after the first round of last month's BMW PGA Championship. Now, according to the European Circuit's handbook, Garcia needed to provide emergency reasons or medical circumstances deemed reasonable to justify his withdrawal, and I guess going to a UT football game with your wife does not qualify as an emergency reason or medical circumstance. Now, officials do not publish the fine amounts, and play was halted on Thursday at the BMW at Wentworth, shortened to 54 holes, but then he ended up going to that football game in Austin. He also appears, Eamon, poised to forfeit his DP World Tour membership. He's played just three European events this season, Dubai, BMW International, and that BMW PGA, the minimum to maintain membership is four events, including three Rolex Series events, along with a tournament in his home country, which Garcia has not played. So losing his European membership would mean Garcia, who is playing the Live Golf event in Jeddah this week, would not be eligible for next year's Ryder Cup. Now, players who have joined Live Golf can continue to play DP World Tour events until a legal challenge in a UK court is heard in February of 2023. Now, Garcia, who holds lifetime membership on the European circuit with 14 career wins, can continue to play DP World Tour events, but he would not earn points for qualifying for next year's European Ryder Cup team. I mean, this is the all-time points earner at 28 and a half. Wither Sergio Garcia? And even leaving aside for a moment the, the Ryder Cup issue to talk about the the DP World Tour issue. I mean, he, he muttered a couple of months ago that he didn't feel loved on, on the European Tour. Well, it's hard to be loved when you're never 
at home, and Sergio's talked about this desire to support his home tour. Well, it stands in stark contrast with John Ram, who has continued to support events, particularly in Spain in, in the fall schedule, but Sergio has been kind of an absentee friend to the European tour for quite some time, and it really does put to rest John Ram's request or appeal for campaign. diplomacy here. Yeah, there's yeah. a campaign really <laughs> to have Sergio be part of a, a future Ryder Cup team, particularly next year in Rome, because they went unbeaten as a partnership in Whistling Straits last year. They were the really the only bright spot for Europe in the Ryder Cup last year. But clearly, I think it's Sergio Garcia knows that John Ram is the outlier here because most of the rest of the team does not want Sergio Garcia. They don't want live players in general. They right. do not want Sergio Garcia specifically because Sergio showed up, took a spot from the field, kept somebody else out of the field at Wentworth and then had a hissy fit after play was cancelled when the Queen died and took off back to Texas without even extending the tour the courtesy of an explanation of why. Yeah. Are you surprised at all? I mean, this is someone who has in many ways become the face of the Ryder Cup for Europe over the last 20 years. It just seems like it's been high moments for sure. 99 Medina, yes. 08 winning the players. 2017 winning the Masters. But we see the the fried chicken comment about Tiger and the destroying the bunker in Saudi and the greens as well and the spinning in the cup. And is, is this just one more moment that makes you shake your head? Sergio, like you should know better at 42 years of age. It's, it's perfectly on brand for Sergio Garcia because you, if you were to draw up a list of the most unprofessional men who've ever played on the PGA Tour or the DP World Tour, Sergio Garcia's name belongs mm. on that list. And he's been, he's been a great player. He's had a terrific career, but the stains on his reputation that he's managed to accumulate over the years have been pretty significant. And they're constant. I mean, he never really fails to disappoint you in terms of his professional conduct. This isn't any different in the sense, this is a career decision he's made in yeah. the sense that he, he's clearly decided that his future lies in live golf. He's not going to play the European Tour much anymore. He obviously has the right to as an honorary member. He can play there. He's just not going to be part of a Ryder Cup future. And mm. it'll be interesting to see how this fits in terms of how Sergio reacts to it because live players have a tendency to point everywhere and allege conspiracies against them when the rules are mm. basically been applied. Sergio knows what the rules were. He knows how they're going to be applied. It'll be curious to see if he alleges that this is some kind of anti-live conspiracy that has been cooked up to keep him out of the Ryder Cup. If no conspiracy is found, is this a good day for Luke Donald in that it simplifies? It, it takes the decision out of his hands or Rory McIlroy's hands that if he's not eligible, meaning Sergio, he just can't play. It definitely smooths the process for, for Lee in the sense, or Luke in the sense that he doesn't actually have to have this conversation for the next year. If it becomes clear that Sergio, by dint of losing his DP World Tour yeah. membership, is out, there may be other questions about mm. other players as captain's picks, but Sergio is simply not eligible to play mm. as a non-member of the DP World Tour. So it certainly makes his job easier. It's probably good news for, for Luke Donald, in a sense, even though he's had a great partnership in years past with Sergio himself. And if you're the executives mm. and a lot of the players on the DP World Tour as well, it's good news too, because I guarantee you from conversations I've had that the reaction would be good riddance. A lot of time between now and next fall in Rome. I imagine this story will continue to zig 
this way and that. Folks, coming up next, the LPGA announced some exciting news on Tuesday as the International Crown is returning in 2023 to TPC Harding Park out in San Francisco. One California girl knows a thing or two about team competition. We're talking with 2021 Solheim Cup team member Mina Haragai next. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Hey, everyone. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. Welcome back to Golf Today. On Tuesday, the LPGA Tour announced that Hanwha, a global business conglomerate based in the Republic of Korea, will serve as the title sponsor of the Hanwha Life Plus International Crown. The team match play competition, an event that showcases the best female golfers from the top eight countries across the globe, will return to the LPGA Tour calendar for the first time since 2018 and will be held at San Francisco's TPC Harding Park, May 4th through 7th. 2023. And here are the past results of the Hanwha Life Plus International Crown. It started 2014, Spain was the victor. In 2016, pretty strong United States team took the title and then the powerhouse, South Korea, won in 2018. The one player who knows a thing or two about team competition and golf in California is Mina Haragai. Haragai was a member of the 2021 U.S. Solheim Cup team and she grew up in Monterey and won the California Women's Amateur Championship. Not one, not two, not three, but four years in a row. In June, she finished runner-up to Minji Lee at the U.S. Women's Open at Pine Needles. And despite the second-place finish, she still took home over $1 million. We've talked about the growth purses on the LPGA. Definitely a life-changing moment for a player who's been out there grinding. You see the 2022 season, 21 events, six top 25s, that runner-up. Pine Needles in North Carolina. And it's great to have Mina Haragai on the show. Let's start with the news about the return of the International Crown. What is your reaction? I think it's amazing that the International Crown has come back, um, you know, just for an opportunity, that, opportunity for um, everyone to try to make the team, um, all, you know, people from all over the globe. Um, people can cheer for their favorite team, uh, favorite people. And especially to, for it to return to some place like TPC Harding Park is even more amazing where the men have played prestigious events. Mina, in terms of team competitions in golf, we get to see the, the best American women. We get to see the best European women in the Solheim Cup. How important is it that we get to see in a team format the absolute powerhouse of South Korean women 
as well? Because there's no other format where we get to see that in this game. Yeah, I think it's really important because obviously the South Korean players are great, talented, amazing players. Um, but, they, you know, they don't get to have the opportunity to um, play in a team event on the LPGA Tour, um, as well as other countries like um, Thailand, Australia, Spain. So I think um, everyone will be really excited that this um, Honda Plus, uh, Life Plus has revived the uh, international crown. I mean, one of the big stories of the year was your runner-up finish and the growth of purses on the LPGA, that $1 million runner-up check. I noticed that you missed four or five cuts afterwards. You still shot in the 60s. You missed a cut by maybe one or two shots. Was that like a life-changing moment? Was it an adjustment for you? Because, you know, you've been out there for a long time, and all of a sudden, this big check arrives in the mail. It, it was definitely life-changing. <laughs> I think the event, a uh, few events afterwards, um, it was almost like a... Uh, adrenaline fatigue. Um, I was just really tired. I gave it my all, um, especially on the weekend. Um, and it's just I didn't have enough juice, and I probably should have taken some a few weeks off to replenish. But um, I, I thought my game was good enough to keep going. But, um, but yeah, I think I just got really tired. Um, and then after playing in Europe, I did have a good um, three-week break, and then I was able to come back, and I, I've had some, a little, a couple of good tournaments coming in, so I'm looking forward to the end of the season. You kept your card at the end of the 2019 season, Mina, in the qualifying school, and then suddenly the world shuts down early in 2020. You ended up going to the Cactus Tour to make a living during that time. What, what was that period like for you, in term, both personally and in terms of your career? Uh, it was, it was, I would like to say the turning point in my career um, after having to go back to Q school um, and, you know, not not knowing what my future had in store for me. I knew I had to make drastic changes in myself and my game. Um, and honestly, the um, LPGA shutting down for a couple more months probably helped me because I was able to have that extra time to um, get ready um, and having the cactus tour to compete on was even better because I was able to take what I had changed um, onto the course and into competition and see where my game was. So um, it was really cool uh, to be able to play that well on the Cactus Tour um, because it, it wasn't like I was doing anything extraordinary. I wasn't making like 50 footers all the time or, you know, hitting everything to two feet. It was just my game just felt really, really solid. So it was cool to see. It was cool to see. And speaking of cool, Mina, you know, there's a cult classic movie called The Breakfast Club. There's a line. Did you know, uh, Barry Manilow know that you raid his wardrobe? My question to you, does Michael Jordan know you raid his wardrobe? Your room is impressive. How did this Michael Jordan collection come together? <laughs> um, that would be the work of um, my fiancé and caddy, Travis Kreider. He, um, he's always been a Jordan fan, and he got me on the Jordan shoe um, train, but um, he's actually had all these little um, memorabilia things. And um, we went back to his house in Illinois where he grew up and he found all these little knickknacks and we brought it back home. We just bought a new home th um, this summer so we could finally um, have our own space and make it our own. But um, my shoe collection is growing as well, too. <laughs> <laughs> 
Mina, last week we saw Jodie Ewer-Chadoff get her first win on the LPGA Tour. She's a couple of years older than you. Do you draw something from seeing someone accomplish a dream like that? Does it help you maintain the belief in yourself and the determination to get a win out there? Definitely. Uh, seeing Jody win, it just makes me, like, it's so impressive that she persevered. Uh, she's a hard worker and, um, you know, she, she, she believed in herself and uh, she finally did it. And um, it makes me feel like it, there's still, I can still do it out there because um, honestly, this is the best I've been playing in my career, uh, much better than in my 20s. So uh, maybe the 30s is the new 20s. So <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. I, uh, it definitely draws inspiration. Mina, I'm not sure if you heard, I finished tied for second in the Peer Insurance Pro-Am at Pebble <laughs> Beach um, on the PGA Tour Champions. Uh, the U.S. Women's Open is going to Pebble Beach next year. Uh, what are you most looking forward to, and do you need any help from me, perhaps? <laughs> yeah, I'll take some tips, whatever you got for me. <laughs> um, but I think I'm just, I'm looking forward to the homecoming of it all. I've, um... Since I was a kid, I would go to the AT&T Pro-Ams. I would go watch the U.S. Opens, uh, men's U.S. Opens. And, you know, it's always been a dream to have a huge, to be able to play in a huge tournament at Pebble Beach for me. And um, to finally have it, uh, I'm just, I'm so looking forward to it. My friends and family can come out to watch. Um, my uh, fellow tour players can see what an amazing golf course Pebble Beach is and the surrounding area that I grew up in. Well, honestly, you'll need no help from me come next year. Mina, thanks so much for the time. Finish the season strong. Hope to catch up with you again soon. Thank you, guys. All right, she is Mina Haragai. And speaking of team competition, this week several LPGA stars, including Nelly and Jessica Corda, are teeing it up in the Aramco Team Series Tournament at Trump Ferry Point. The events are sanctioned by the Ladies European Tour. In other news regarding pro golf in Saudi Arabia, Lena Al-Hathloul, the sister of a Saudi activist, has written a letter to LPGA Commissioner Mali Marcus Saman, trying to discourage her from considering any future alliance with Live Golf. The letter says the following. I urge you to consider the human rights aspect of your potential involvement with Live Golf and use your influence to positively raise the situation of women in the country and to publicly distance yourself from the Saudi regime. And the Hall of Famer, Kari Webb, saying thank you, Lena, and your family for your bravery. Kari Webb has been very outspoken about Live Golf. Amy, what is your first reaction? I mean, this is a family that, has, that lived in and seen human rights abuses and how women are treated up close. Yeah, that, that takes it from being a removed or an antiseptic subject into a, a very personal uh, account that she had in that letter, which was very detailed in terms of what her family and her sister have gone through. And it should be said, it's very unclear at this stage what, if any, interaction exists or will exist between Live Golf and uh, the LPGA Tour, whether it's even just the Aramco series trying to come to the US as opposed to, or to the LPGA Tour as opposed to the Ladies European Tour. I think it's, it almost goes without saying that if the LPGA Tour at some point did decide to go into business, with, with Saudi money, then 70 years of credibility is demolished overnight because you can't claim to be in the business of advocacy for equal rights or for women in sport while taking money from a regime that beheads its critics mm. and abuses human rights on a daily basis. And that's the simple reality of the situation. We don't know what that 
future holds, but it's very clear just even from a financial standpoint, the LPGA Tour would be much more poorly positioned to resist any kind of either interaction with Liv or a rival if Liv were to launch one. Yeah, Alina is an attorney uh, in Saudi Arabia. Her sister was a champion for women's rights, was detained, and according to her family, was, was tortured during her detainment. Those stories are powerful, and as you said, it doesn't become this antiseptic you know, thought discussion here where you have someone who's actually speaking about real-life events. The PGA Tour has had champions, Rory McIlroy. The power of Kari Webb's voice in what could be an eventual tussle between Live Golf and the LPGA or the, or the LPGA considering it, how important is it that the LPGA has some strong players, current or former, that can make this decision harder for Molly Marcusman, should this be a discussion she even entertains? It's very important to have voices that will speak out, especially with the stature of Carrie Webb. And Carrie Webb's also played all over the world. So she knows that there are many tours in women's golf that run on fumes. And the Ladies European Tour is a prime example. The most lucrative events on the Ladies European Tour are sponsored by Aramco, the Saudi state-owned oil company. And you can make a nuanced argument here that there's a difference between sponsorship of a tournament and ownership of a tour, ownership of the elite game. And that may be the difference between Aramco sponsoring this event and the Live Golf attempting to own the elite level of this game. But it, it does prove that there are players out there on any tour who are willing to take the money from any Saudi source, regardless of what the, the broader moral arguments on that. We're seeing both Corda sisters are playing at that Aramco event today. Mm. They don't necessarily need the money. They're not running mm. on fumes like most of the LET membership. Brooke Henderson is there too. Lexi Thompson is there as well. So anyone who thinks that there will suddenly be a, a moral compass more in evidence on the LPGA side of any such equation, should that come up, I think is probably going to be disappointed. We have seen the LPGA purses rise and increase over the last couple of years. I just wonder if they've increased enough to be a bit of a, of a pushback against any potential, you know, treaties by, by Live Golf. Financially, they do not have defenses mm. against what the Saudis can do. It, it could be said that the, the men's game barely even has the finances mm. to fend off the Saudis. The women's game certainly doesn't. The LET has proved that. It becomes a much more striking moral argument, though, when it comes to the abuse of women's rights, if you get into an LPGA, LET conversation. Yeah, more voices like Lena uh, could lend a very, very strong argument against any sort of LPGA Live Golf Alliance. And Carrie Webb as well, mm. for sure. Absolutely. Back on Golf Today, PGA Tour University, presented by Velocity Global, is giving the college game's best seniors a chance to compete on the PGA Tour. Now, following the conclusion of the NCAA Championship, the top 20 players in the PGA Tour University rankings, presented by Velocity Global, will be granted playing privileges across multiple PGA Tour platforms, including the top five securing full status on the Corn Ferry Tour, one through 10. I to see some names that are, are very familiar. Sam Bennett, Texas A&M, William Mao, Pepperdine. Important to, to mention Mr. Mao. Here's 11 through 20. You see uh, William's teammate, Sam Choi there. Number 20, little Stanford love for Barclay Brown at number 
17. Now, speaking of William Mao, hometown Chino, California, senior at Pepperdine, and already really a decorated career, a Walker Cup, competed in the U.S. Open, and then you see eighth on that PGA Tour University Velocity Global Rankings. And he joins us now, William. It's good to spend some time with you. For someone who's accomplished so much already, you know, winning a natty, Walker Cup, competing in a U.S. Open, how nice is it having something like the PGA Tour University to kind of keep you sharp and hungry during your senior year? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the PGA Tour uh, made a great decision with allowing um, college golfers to have a goal um, to work towards, keeping guys in college, um, allowing them to see that their status available, job security. It's pretty cool that they implemented um, a system like this that us college golfers can stay motivated when we're practicing um, to eventually get to our, our goal. William, earlier this summer, you shot 12 under par at an Olympic club in San Francisco in a U.S. Open qualifier, made your way into the field at the country club in Brookline for the U.S. Open. What did you take away from, in terms of confidence, and what was the coolest moment of actually competing in that major championship? Yeah, it was, it was special, honestly. Just being able to execute your game plan at the highest level, being able to qualify for um, the nation's most elite tournament, the U.S. Open, and getting to play out at uh, Brookline was just a dream come true. Such an honor, so blessed to be able to have that opportunity and to go out there and play with the best golfers around the world is what, you know, it's what I practice for every day. And um, it was just a moment that uh, will cherish forever and hopefully do it again. Well, you played a Walker Cup at a pretty cool spot, Seminole. It's hosting the Jackson T. Stevens Cup this week. We just spoke to Rich Lerner and UNC's David Ford Shot 62. How good is that score around that golf course? That's a phenomenal score. Um, it's pretty funny. David and I have been playing a lot in our last tournaments. I think every tournament of my last five tournaments, I've been paired with David. So we're good friends. We're good buddies. And 62 out there, including eight birdies in a row, is just really, really good. Um, I know Seminole has some tabletop greens. Um, if you can hit it to the middle of the green and start making putts and um, feel like you're attacking the course, you can go pretty low there. And it was it was pretty cool to see David go pretty low there. William, you, you will have seen at the weekend that Eugenio Chikara made quite a lot of money on the Live event out in Bangkok. And he said afterwards a part of his reason for jumping to Live was that he thought the PGA Tour University system didn't offer players enough. Now, we've had guys like Chris Gutterup and Pearson Cootie on the show who've argued the opposite, that it does, and all, all they want is the opportunity to earn their way onto the PGA Tour. I'm curious where you fall on that issue. Do you think what is on offer through PGA Tour University is enough for college seniors like you, or should there be more? Should it be a direct pathway onto the Tour? Yeah, I think it just depends on kind of where, you, where your viewpoint is on it. Um, I can see where guys say that it's not enough, um, and then I can see guys where if you do play well and um, you're at the top of the PGA Tour University, it does allow you to have a pretty direct path um, to the PGA Tour. And I think the PGA Tour is doing a great job and the best that they can do um, to create college golfers to have job status, have job security, and eventually make their way out on tour. And um, I think they're doing a great job. And 
it's going to be cool to see what, what kind of different uh, things they apply in the next couple of years uh, um, for college golfers, but it's cool. William, I've been impressed with the quality of your golf, the, the incredible golf courses that you've played and the experiences that you've had. And then there's this photo floating around of you and Tiger Woods. What do you remember about this day? Yeah, that, that was special. That was out at uh, Liberty National for the Junior President's Cup. And, you know, we just came off of victory. Um, the inaugural Junior President's Cup, we, 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 uh, we won and then we got off we got to head out to Liberty National to watch the actual President's Cup and meeting guys like Tiger, Fred Couples, Justin Thomas, Jordan Spieth, Brooks Koepka, um, and just having general conversations with them. It was pretty special to see, like, you know, our team dynamic and their team dynamic was not that uh, much much different. It was just pretty cool to to see and chat with the guys before they went out and um, kicked some butt out there. What does your short and midterm pathway look like now career-wise, William? If we're sitting here 18 months from now, what do you see as the ideal pathway to that point for you from here? Yeah, I think I think the PGA Tour U is, has been a great system where it allows um, college golfers like me to uh, work, work on your game, have a game plan, set goals, top five in PGA Tour U, um, being able to play in Corn Ferry Tour events, earn money, um, earn um, points to eventually make it to the uh, Corn Ferry Tour finals and somehow get your card and make your way to the tour. So in 18 months, I think, you know, just keep doing what I'm doing, sticking to my process and really enjoying the, you know, just being able to play the game of golf. Um, we're pretty lucky to do that. Part of your process, from what I understand, is that you can juggle even eggs. I usually juggle golf balls. How did you learn how to <laughs> juggle? Yeah, you know, just um, being bored in school, just um, got a couple of golf balls together in my um, backpack and just started a uh, YouTube to video of how to juggle and kind of picked it up pretty fast. Within 30 minutes, I was able to kind of learn how to myself. juggle so it's self-taught within 30 minutes and then you kind of learn different tricks um, um along the way and it, it's fun it's if you're waiting on a tee box and the group is slow you just kind of throw a couple balls up there and keep your arms loose keep it loose have some laughs and it's just a way to have fun out there and keep it light i enjoy it he can juggle he can drive and he can putt it he is william mao buddy congratulations on your accomplishments enjoy that senior season let's talk again soon Thanks, guys. Appreciate the call. With th three of the biggest names in the game are making their season debuts this week at the Zozo Championship, Xander Schauffele, Colin Morikawa, and Victor Hovland. Which one of them is primed for the best season? We kick that around. Coming up. Back on golf today, Hideki Matsuyama defends his title this week in Japan. Now, last year, he made two eagles in his final round, 65, walking after this one on 18 to finish at 15 under and win by five shots over Cameron Tringali and Brendan Steele in his home country of Japan. Look at that reaction, that smile, what a moment for Hideki. Already among players from Japan, the most PGA Tour wins with eight. It's a number you would think will only go up. 
And before his start this week, he reaffirmed his place on the PGA Tour, saying in his press conference, yeah, I'm a member of the PGA Tour, never been prouder, especially last week at the President's Cup. Yeah, I'm fully committed to the PGA Tour. I am a member. With more on his decades, head over to the CW Intelligence Center and go beyond the scorecard using shot link statistics. What a win it was when Hideki is right. I mean, he wins by a bunch. He has a seven shot win on the resume two five shot wins, including last year at the Zozo. You see the driving accuracy, the GIR greens and regulation, the scrambling, the putts. I mean, when he's right, Eamon, it's number one player in the world type of statistics. Yeah, when you look at those numbers, Damon, that is a complete picture right there of a complete player. And we saw a very similar performance from him not that long afterwards in the Sony Open in Hawaii, which was his most recent PGA Tour victory, which he had in January. Again, hitting a pretty dramatic fairway wood into the final hole for that one, too. So there's strokes gained putting and strokes gained, you know, approaching the green, but there's no strokes gained stat for fame. How do you think he's kind of handled his journey on the PGA Tour, but also as a global star. That's an important point with Hideki because there are no strokes gain metrics for pressure. Mm. And when you consider the pressure he's under, we just saw that crowd standing behind him there at the Zozo last year. And he is the first truly global competitor that Japanese golf has produced. I mean, Jumbo Ozaki won 119 times, one of them. The 1972 New Zealand PGA Championship was the only one yeah. outside of Japan. And even Asao Aoki, has, well, you know, he won 50 times in Japan, but only once in the United States, also in Hawaii. But Hideki plays golf here. He's only made seven appearances in Japan in the last five years, and not all of those have been official starts in, in tour events. So he's focused on the PGA Tour over here, and I think that just adds to the level of global celebrity at home. He's won the Masters. He's won the Zozo in his native country. Do you think we can even imagine how big of a star he is over there? I'm, I'm curious what would be the most pressure situation he's put himself in in a tournament. Was it winning the Masters or was it the T4 barely missing the medal at yeah. Tokyo in the Olympics last summer? Yeah, I think it was probably the Olympics. Definitely a global player, a star, and someone who continues to fill the stat sheets as well. That was the CDW Intelligence Center. People who get it. Well, someone else who knows about the weight of expectations is playing this week in Japan, Ricky Fowler. We'll hear from him right after the break. It's not easy to be a former phenom looking for answers in this game. Ricky Fowler is teeing it up this week in Japan. And we're going to hear from him about returning to work with Butch Harmon as he aims to end the slump. And we'll meet another graduate of the Epson Tour who secured her card to the LPGA Tour for 2023 as God's Today continues. Golf Today. Welcome back into Golf Today. I'm Eamon Lynch. Happy to be alongside Damon Hack and Damon. The PGA Tour has gone overseas now. Japan, 11 p.m. Eastern. You've got triplets. Are you going to see it? Uh, no. I think <laughs> maybe a shot or two, but I would say no. It's funny. The boys are starting to push for, like, a later bedtime. They need their sleep. They, they want to watch Sunday Night Football on NBC, for example. They, they might want to watch a little golf tonight. I think in the, in the Hack household... We'll be turning in early. You don't care what the boys want. You just want to go to bed early. You're just using that as an excuse. I, I need my beauty I don't sleep. have that issue. I'm happy. I'll watch all night long. I'm an athlete, as you know. I've got, I want to maintain this uh, run of trophies that I've been on. 
Oh God, if I have to hear any more about these trophies, really. <laughs> right. <laughs> Enough about me. The PJ Tour, yes, Zozo Championship, as Eamon mentioned, returns to Japan for the second straight year after being played at Sherwood Country Club in California in 2020. Through the pandemic, the event debuted in 2019. For more, let's send it out to Shane Bacon and Sam Saunders. This Zozo Championship might have a short history, but it is rich. Tiger Woods inaugural Zozo Championship back in 2019 in front of thousands of fans. Picks up win number 82 after that Masters victory earlier in the season. So you start things off with Tiger winning. And just last year, Hideki Matsuyama ran away with this thing. An eagle at the last. Hideki, a victory here in his home country. Fans loving it, and golf fans loved it as well. Shane Bacon with Sam Saunders. We get set for another Zozo Championship. And as we talk about superstars, you talk about Hideki, you talk about Tiger. How about talking about the next hot thing, if you will, in Tom Kim? Unbelievable. What, what great timing. I mean, he grew up idolizing Tiger Woods, and he's here now having just broken one of his records, two-time winner already on the PGA Tour. A lot of eyes are going to be on him this week, and what, for, for great reason. I mean, he's always got a smile on his face, and, and what an unbelievable talent. And we, we may just see, be seeing the next superstar right here. And Sam, Narashima Country Club, who we're posting this week, not a long golf course. They're combining two of the golf courses, nine on each golf course. But if you find fairways, something Tom Kim has showed us he can do at a regular rate, it's a place I feel like he could win again. Absolutely. You know, I got out and got a chance to look at this golf course. There, there's some rough out there. There's some tight tee shots. And he's obviously playing great golf. And, and he can pick apart this course with this great iron play and great putting. And, uh, you know, but, but it's an incredible field. You can't just focus on one guy despite the fact of what he's doing right now. Uh, great field, a lot of great guys here. And just a, just a beautiful golf course, beautiful setting, and, and, and a lot of excitement in the air with the local fans. Excited for this week to kick off. And you mentioned it, Sam, some of the big names two of the top 10 in the world in Xander and Colin. You see those going off those, of course, local time. The good thing for you stateside is we get coffee golf a lot with the DP World Tour. You're going to get a little cocktail golf with us this week. Stay up late and watch some of the biggest names in golf play. And of course, Hideki was the story last year. Hideki actually had to pull out of the Pro-Am with a bit of a back injury on Wednesday. So we will keep an eye on Hideki, the defending champion, and see how the health holds up over the course of the next four days. But just excited to be back in Japan and excited to be see back here for the Zozo Championship. 11 p.m. Eastern, if you're on the East Coast, on Wednesday night. So get set for some late-night golf and some big names playing here at the Zozo. All right, fellas, one tee time. We didn't see Ricky Fowler, 8, 12 p.m. Eastern time, alongside Chez Reeve and Chad Ramey. A time now for Meet the Press as Ricky Fowler met with the media today in Japan. We're very happy, um, you know, excited about the, the partnership with, you know, me and Ricky um, on my bag. I feel like we, we work really well together, um, you know, with you know, being back with Butch and kind of keeping things fairly simple, but um, some, some pretty significant changes. Um, but to see the, the results in Napa, that was uh, a big step forward. So um, yeah, just very kind of, like I said, excited about knowing where we're at and, and where we're heading. Um, also got to give a, a big congrats to Joe on, on a win last week, obviously him being on, on Tom's bag. So that was that was cool to see. Tom's a special player, but um, obviously happy for Joe as well. Working with Butch again, is it 
going back to some things from back in the day? Is it trying new things? Kind of what are you guys working on and, and what are the, the goals for the season? Uh, it's kind of a combo of, of old and new. Um, I feel like over the, the last three years um, with Tillery has, has put me actually in um, a very good position to, to make some little changes. And, and um, I have, I've, coming from Tillery, I feel like I have a great foundation. Unfortunately, the, the play over the last few years didn't really reflect that. Um, and so that was a bummer that it just really wasn't working out. But um, a lot of good things with Butch. Uh, one of the big things is um, kind of a steeper left arm playing, which ultimately gets my hands higher at the top and the club in a better position. Um, gives me more room and, and space and makes the swing a bit more efficient. Um, so, no, there's been a, a lot of good, you know, for me, feedback from, you know, just seeing how shots are coming out and then obviously the, the finish and uh, the play at Napa, not having, you know, didn't necessarily play great, but to get around my first event with, with the changes and, and play the way I did was, was uh, definitely a good sign. Looking for good signs, a bereft of a win for three and a half years. Is he close? He's closer, mm. which I suppose is the start. I mean, it, it's striking how inconsistent Ricky has been over the last three years. He's had 24 missed cuts on the PGA Tour in the last three years. That's as many as he had in the six previous years combined. He's only had four top tens in that same three-year stretch. He had four alone in 2019. Uh, but there are some early signs. I mean, he's only played a couple of times this year. He played the Fortnite where he tied for six and then missed the cut at the Shriners. But there, there are some slight encouraging signs. I mean, the off-the-tee statistics are a little better than they have been. The approach shots even in that small sample size, are a lot better. Last year, he was 150th strokes gained approach. So far this year, he's 30th. And there's been a noticeable improvement also in the putting, which used to be his Excalibur yeah. that suddenly became his kryptonite over the last few years. He was 161st on tour last year putting. And so far this year, he's 53rd. But strokes gained tee to green is probably a fair metric of the work that he's been doing with Butch and the foundation that he had with Tillery, as he said. And he was outside the top 100 in that category last year. It's currently 35th. So there's not a lot to go on, but what signs are out there have to be taken as somewhat encouraging for him. I think so. I'll always be fascinated about why he made the move in the first place. You know, John Tillery has a fantastic reputation, wonderful coach, and obviously Butch Harmon does as well. And Ricky had been so close to being that player that he wanted to be. He was contending in major championships and winning the Players' Championship. I guess the question I have is, now that you're in your early 30s, which is often the prime for a player, do you think that he can kind of recapture that innocence of his 20s, where he built this reputation as kind of the daredevil and was incredibly and continues to be incredibly popular outside the ropes from a terms of a, of a Q rating standpoint? No, I think Ricky's time has passed as both the potential change agent that mm. I always thought he would be in terms of the, this grow the game mantra that we hear all the time. And he's no more likely to regain that in a sense than, say, uh, Rory McIlroy will or, or any of us will mm. as, you, as you move through life. And, you know, he's now he's married. He's got a family now as well, extensive business. It, life's a lot more complicated than it was eight, nine, ten years ago for Ricky Fowler. But I, I do think he's capable of making uh, significant strides back to where he was in the game. I think part of the reason why 
he went with John Tillery was Butch had started to really ratchet down right. the amount of time he was spending on tour. Claude Harmon, his son, was the guy that Ricky was working with more and more often. And when Butch formally retired, Ricky chose that as the opportunity rather than to continue working with, with Claude and Butch together, right. that he went and worked then with Tillery. Three years is a long time. And it was interesting to hear him talk about how Tillery left him a good foundation. And I don't think it's just Ricky being nice yeah. about it. I don't think Ricky Fowler believes that three years was a waste of time. Yeah. And what we've seen over the years is that Butch Harmon tends to be as much a psychologist mm. and a motivational speaker as he is a swing coach. Everyone who goes to see him, they talk about how simple he makes it, but he gives them this sense of belief. Uh, so I don't think he believes he's starting from square one again. It was also a, a sign of kind of the caliber of Ricky Fowler that one of the things he did in that press conference that we didn't see today was congratulate his former caddy for mm. getting his win on first week on the bag the PGA Tour event with Tom Kim last week. Very classy move, much like Jordan Spieth. When Jordan Spieth started to play well again, the door to President's Cups and Ryder Cups opened again, even before he necessarily qualified. I'm talking about being a captain's pick. I wonder if Ricky Fowler, if he shows any signs of life going forward because of his role in the task force, because of his popularity among that group of players who are already on the team, like Jordan Spieth, and Justin Thomas, could Ricky find himself back where he was for so many years as one of the centerpieces of team golf for the United States? He would certainly be welcomed. He has to earn it, I guess, from what he does mm. inside the ropes. I thought it was really interesting that when Tiger showed up for that player meeting in Delaware a few weeks ago, which set out this vision for what the PGA Tour would look like going forward, that he arrived on his plane with Ricky Fowler, because for so long, Ricky Fowler was believed to be the kind of perfect candidate yeah. for live golf. He was a younger, popular player. He would have been a real catch for them, and he was kind of slumping. You would think he's vulnerable to that. And the fact that he showed up with Tiger hmm. and took his place in that meeting, to me, suggested that he, he certainly made a decision in terms of where his future lies. Going back to Butch shows, to me, a certain determination to get back to where he was. I mean, he's 160th in the world golf ranking right now. He was as high as fourth. I'm not necessarily sure he gets back to as high as fourth because it's pretty stiff competition. But he's way lower than, than the talent level yeah. would actually indicate. I think so, and I could easily see him potentially having a Darren Clark-type end-of-career renaissance where he picks off that long, elusive major championship. You agree with that? I do, but hopefully he doesn't have to wait until his early 40s for <laughs> yeah. that. I think we'd all like to see that a little earlier. No doubt. would definitely be a good boon for the game. It was crunch day on Sunday over on the Epson Tour as players battled for a chance to earn LPGA Tour cards for 2023. We'll meet one of those graduates when Golf Today returns. Back on Golf Today, the Epson Tour Championship was held in Daytona Beach, Florida over the weekend. Players who finished in the top 10 of the season-long money list at the conclusion of the event, earned their 2023 LPGA Tour cards. So let's take a look at the 10 graduates headed to the LPGA Tour, topped by Linnea Strom. Fantastic season. These are players kind of some at the beginning of their careers, some going back to the LPGA Tour, some lifers, some players who've seen some ups and downs. You see number seven there, Gabriela Stan, one of those players, 26 years of age. This year on the Epson Tour recorded six top 20 finishes, including her first pro win at the Garden City Charity Classic at Buffalo Dunes. She played college golf at the University of Southern California and entered her career 
at USC as the Trojans all time leader in rounds played. And great to have Gabby with us. It's great to see uh, you know, 10 different stories on that stage in Daytona Beach. When you reflect on the last couple of days and on this past season, what are you most proud of as you head to the LPGA Tour? Yeah, I'm super excited to be able to finish the absence tour season in the top 10. It's a major accomplishment in my book. I feel, you know, so excited to move on to this next stage of my career after, you know, quitting golf a couple of years ago. I never imagined that I would be in this position. Let's go back to the quitting golf. Gabby, you missed advancing the second stage of LPGA Tour Q School back in 2019 by a single shot and decided yes. to take time off the game. What brought you back to it? How long did that respite last from the game? So, yeah, after the fall of 19, I did stop playing competitive golf and, you know, COVID happened the following spring. And so that kind of just gave me time to think about it, think about why I'm playing the game of golf and kind of reevaluate my decision. And the reason I came back was that my, you know, Friends and family around me were kind of saying, you know, you're good enough to be out there. You should go and try again. And my self-confidence wasn't there. But over time, I grew back in love with the game and I understood why I played and I'm playing for myself and my goals. Gabby, how did you make ends meet? I understand you, you took on different jobs outside of the realm of golf. Yeah, I did. Um, during my time off, I took a job at a, a media company, a skincare company. I did little bits here and there. I even started teaching junior clinics at my local golf course, you know, doing little jobs here and there, seeing what I liked, what I didn't like. And in the end, you know, I think I really missed the tour life and that competitive edge. And I really wanted to prove myself out there once again. Well, you did actually prove yourself when you went to the Cactus Tour and in the space of four months, you won three times out there. What did that do for your confidence given where you were over the previous couple of years? Yeah, the Cactus Tour really um, was a stepping stone into building my confidence again back in tournaments and then moving forward to the Women's All Pro Tour right after that. I think I really need to go through that process um, in order to go back on the Epson Tour again because it's all uh, relearning how you are under pressure and how you're able to keep your composure during those moments. And I think I really need to go through that. Gabby, how difficult is it protecting your confidence when, you know, success is determined by the, the scores you put on your card? You know, how do you find joy in a game that can sometimes be, you know, thankless and difficult? I know. There are no pictures on the scorecard, right? So when going through those moments, I kind of just try to remember the bigger picture you know we're working towards an overall big goal here and throughout this whole season that's the only thing that was stuck in my mind is to try to get into this top 10 to secure my spot for next year and so through no matter through all the the negative and positive things that happened throughout the season I just tried to keep my head focused on the big picture you qualified for the U.S. amateur at the age of 12, Gabby. You qualified for the U.S. Women's Open, 14. You won the girls' junior. Did all of that early success perhaps give you a, an unreasonable expectation of how fast success should come in the professional ranks? 
Yeah, I, I, I did have a, a great junior career and there was some kind of projection there that I should be successful immediately. And I think that did put a lot of pressure on me ultimately in the future. But at the same time, it also reminded me that, you know, like now when I'm a professional golfer that I used to have so much of this happiness with the game and I kind of fell out of it. And so I was just relearning my way back to it. How about your friendship with Sofia Popov, another USC Trojan who's had some ups and downs and has ultimately become a major championship winner. How much has her journey kind of impacted your own inside the ropes? Yeah, Sophia's story is really inspiring when she went through that and also almost quit golf and ended up being a major champion. It, um, she, we, really, we did talk about it, and um, it was really, really cool to see that happen to her and, you know, a really inspiring story. What are your expectations now that you've got that LPGA Tour card for 2023, Gabby? Do you have certain goals or benchmarks that you've set for yourself for that season? Yes, absolutely. Looking forward to the 2023 season. I have certain goals in mind. And ever since I was a little girl, I definitely wanted to uh, compete um, in all the major championships and be an LPGA Tour winner one day. Gabby, in what ways are you better prepared now at 26 to begin this journey than you might have been as a, as a teenager or, or hotshot as some of these players are on the LPGA? I think today I, you know, not only have more experience, but going through the stepping stones of the mini tours from Cactus Tour to Women's All Pro Tour to the Epson Tour really um, elevated my game in different levels and understanding how I compete. And so I think now at the highest level of the game, I'm truly ready to, you know, make that leap. Well, Gabby, your story is inspiring. Congratulations on getting your LPGA Tour card. We'll be watching you. Enjoy the holiday season. Best of luck in 2023. Thank you so much. With still to come, College Central follows at the bottom of the hour at 2.30 p.m. Eastern Time with Anna Jackson and Jim Gallagher Jr. Final round coverage of the Jackson T. Stevens Cup comes your way afterwards at 3 p.m. Eastern from Seminole.